Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say, so I remember that's a new thing we're doing. I catch you off guard every week. We'll get used to it now. Um, so before we dive into today's sermon, uh, I just want to let you know that your sermon notes are all wrong. Um, at four o'clock in the afternoon on Friday, I decided to scrap my message and do something different. So you're going to have to come up with your own reflection questions at the end. Uh, but we're, we've been going through uh, the Bible in a year, during this last year, uh, and right now we're in the prophets, the minor prophets and the major prophets, uh, a series called Prepare the Way, getting ready to head into the New Testament. In this series, uh, there's about five weeks left in the Old Testament. So uh, just to break it down, over 12 months, we were seven months in the Old Testament, and in five weeks we'll be in five months in the New Testament. And if you haven't been following along, we'd love for you to pick up a book. We have books, devotionals available that you can do. We have uh, devotionals for kids, teens, and adults. We'd love to have you join. So let's pray and dive in. God, you're, you're so good. You're a good Father who loves His children. And Lord, we, we praise You with that song, Jesus, Messiah, Lord of all. You came to this earth and, and You took on our sin and our shame and died so that we could have life. And Lord, we say thank You. And so today as we open Your Word, we just pray that You'll speak through it. Lord, that You'll speak to me, change me, mold me, shape me. And that you'll do the same for every person here today. In your name we pray. Amen. What is your response or what will your response be if God calls you to do something extremely difficult? I've been uh, reading stories of missionaries throughout my life. And, and one of the groups uh, that really have, has impressioned me as I've thought through what missionaries do is this group from uh, two, two centuries ago. Uh, they they became known as the one-way missionaries. Uh, so they would buy their tickets to the mission field without a return half, and instead of suitcases, uh, they would pack all of their belongings in a casket. And when they would say goodbye to their family, uh, they would say goodbye for one final time, knowing that the place where they were going, they were going to stay for the remainder of their life, no matter how long or how short it would be. A.W. Milne uh, 1785 to 1822, was one of those missionaries. He set sail for the new Hebrides of the South Pacific, aware that the headhunters there had martyred every missionary before him. Milne didn't fear for his life because he already died to himself. His coffin was packed. For 35 years he lived among that tribe, and when he died they buried him in the middle of the village and inscribed this on his tombstone. When he came there was no light. When he left there was no darkness. Another intrepid soul cut from the same cloth was missionary James Calvert, who committed his life to reaching the indigenous people of the Fiji Islands. It is widely reported that upon his voyage, the ship's captains warned him to turn back, saying, you will lose your life and the life of those with you if you go among such savages. Calvert purportedly replied, we died before we came here. Calvert and Milne understood the implications of Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. They realized that the first and essential act of discipleship was to die to themselves. And these men lived powerfully for God because they recognized that the greatest, greatest barrier to discovering all that God has for us is our own preoccupation with ourself. What would your response be if God called you to do something difficult? Or better yet, what would my response be? 
what if God called me to do something difficult? I've been wrestling with that question all week. Um, I've shared with you as a journey, uh, our church, I've shared with you where we've been going uh, in, in regards to fostering and adopting through the foster care system. And now that we're certified through the state, we're at a point in our journey where, uh, because of confidentiality and other things, I can't really share details about where we're at in the process. But I can tell you this, uh, this week we faced the decision to purposely walk into a difficult situation that would continue through the rest of our lives and would be for the sake of the gospel. And during this week, that decision has filled my every thought, (laughs) and I can't think about anything else. So Friday night, when it came time to write the sermon, I was writing a sermon on the covenant and a new covenant and all the different covenants in the Old Testament and how they led to the new covenant, and then I just couldn't do it. (laughs) So I threw it out uh, because this week I've basically faced every single emotion that you can handle, uh, fear, excitement, tears, prayers, evaluation, every emotion that exists on the spectrum. And I don't know what the end result will be, and I don't know how God will lead, and I don't know what the results will be of this thing. But I just spent my week crying out to God and just saying, God, lead, lead me. Um, we got into this knowing that it might be difficult, and I don't know what the future holds, but I just said, okay, God, what do you want from us? Here am I, send me. My arms are open, and I want to do whatever you call me to do. And last week, Pastor John preached a sermon, which was very timely in our lives, talking about God's will. And he looked at Jeremiah 29, 11. We, we all know this verse. We probably learned it. And for many of you, it may be your favorite verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And often that verse is quoted to say, God has great things for you. And if you're going through a hard time right now, don't worry because God has something better on the other end. And that seems to be comforting, but at the same time, we look at the life of Joseph. We see the trials he went through. We looked at the life of the Israelites, and this promise was given to them because God was going to return them to the nation of Israel in 70 years. So the majority of the people that this was promised to would never see the fulfillment of this plan. Pastor John's summary last week was that in spite of their, the nation of Israel's, disobedience as a nation, which has resulted in their exile to a foreign country, there is still hope. God will still keep His promises. He has plans to make of them a great nation from which the Messiah will come. He will preserve them in captivity and help them to prosper so that a nation is in existence to go back to the promised land. There is hope and a future for their nation. But God may bring us through pain to reveal His ultimate will. I wanted to rewind a little bit and look at some of Pastor John's points because I thought they were really good. So you didn't know I was going to do this, Pastor John, but here we go. Uh, first, God's will is an expression of His love. Romans 8 says that God works all things together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And we know that God loves us and is doing what's best for us, but we don't always know in the middle of it why there is so much pain in the midst of it. Second, our faith isn't grounded on circumstances, but in a person. And he taught, Pastor John talked about how God is a perfect father who can be trusted and, and who can be trusted to be and do what he says. God's will is a long-term process that involves both plain and pleasure. 
And so He has a sovereign will, which we don't know, and we can't see the end results, and we can't see how God is working all things together for the good of, of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And so we don't know that big sovereign will, so we trust and we walk through prayer each and every step. But then He also has a moral will, and we know that. And that's how we walk each and every day, is to seeking to, to follow that moral will. God's will involves my choices. He talked about how when we're seeking to determine will, we, we have a choice in the matter. But oftentimes we think it's based on emotions. You know, if I, if I feel good about this, then it must be God's will. Uh, working in youth ministry for years, I can tell you this isn't the best way to evaluate God's will. I remember one time I had uh, this boy and girl. I had a rule. It wasn't an official rule, and I really followed it. But my rule in my youth group was if two kids from the youth group wanted to date each other, they had to come talk to me first. And I said that was a rule, but I had no authority to force that, enforce that or something. I'd just say it's a rule. Uh, people broke it. be like, you broke the rule. And then they'd be like, I don't have to do that. I'm like, I know you don't, but still a rule. Uh, but I had this couple come in uh, to my office, and uh, there were so many red flags. I mean, just so many red flags. And they said, we feel like God wants us to date. I'm like, okay, great. Why do you feel that way? And then they all this emotional stuff. And I'm like, well, okay. It was clear this was not going to work to me and every other youth leader. And so we, I said, hey, here's what I want you to do. Take some time, pray about it, talk to your parents, talk to some other youth leaders. I'm like, this is a bad idea. Okay, sounds good. Check my Facebook two hours later in a relationship with so-and-so. They didn't check with anybody else. They didn't do any more praying. And then like a couple weeks later, they broke up. It was messy. And they go, I thought this was God's will for my life. And I was like, I think you thought God was your emotions because that's what you're following, not God. But sometimes we think that, that God's will is a formula, like Pastor John talked about. If we do this, 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 and this, and then we'll know this is it. And then when it doesn't work out, we go, well, that must not be God's will. And so Pastor John talked about God's will being a fellowship with God, one of obedience and freedom and submission. But no matter the circumstance, God is a perfect Father who can be trusted to keep His promises. But what do you do when God calls you to do something difficult? Or what do you do when in the midst of your daily life you're facing a really difficult circumstance and you wonder, what does God have in this for me? Why is God allowing this to happen to me? This theme of God's call has permeated our reading in the last month. So I want to recap kind of the last month of our reading as we've been walking through the Scriptures together. Three weeks ago, we looked at the life of Jonah. Remember, the Word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. God told Jonah, go here. And Jonah said, nope. We learned that we can't run from God. But really, the reason Jonah didn't want to go wasn't because he was scared of what they would do to him. It was because he knew God's character. He said, God is a God who's compassionate, who's slow to anger and abounding in love. And he knew that if the Assyrians repented, that God would relent. And he didn't want that to happen. And so he refused to go. But God still intervened. Two weeks ago, we looked at the life of Isaiah. Isaiah, when he saw heaven and saw God's throne, instead of saying, wow, he said, woe. Woe to me. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I'm around a people of unclean lips. 
And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. When he saw who God was, his only thing he could do was saying, I'm a sinner. I'm unclean. I don't deserve to be in your presence. And so this seraphim took a coal from the fire and touched it to his lips and said, your sins are atoned for. And in a moment of praise, and a moment of thankfulness, when God said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. Whatever it is, whatever you want me to do, here am I. We talked about the idea that, of saying to God, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Here's a blank check. Whatever the question is. I don't even know what the question is yet, but here am I. Send me. Are you willing to say, God, I will do whatever you want me to do? And you're reading before last week's sermon, we read about Jeremiah's call in, in Jeremiah 1. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God said, Before you were even a thought in your parents' mind, I chose you to be a prophet to the nation of Israel. For me, that's comforting. My reason, read Ephesians 2. You know, I'm God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for me to do. God has a plan for me and a purpose, and He had that before I was even born. So now I have the opportunity to walk in that plan and in that purpose. But what's Jeremiah's response? Alas, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. I remember uh, when I was in middle school, I used to pray, God, I will do anything you want me to do, and, and whatever field you call me to, I'll go wherever you want me to go, as long as I don't have to speak in front of people. I didn't know that God had a different purpose in mind for that shy, awkward middle schooler, that God had something different in store. God knew that. God knew this about Jeremiah. He said, I don't know how to speak, I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm too young. You must go to everyone I send to you and say whatever I commanded you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over the nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. God said, look, I will give you what you need. I'm going to put my words in your mouth. I'm going to give you everything you need to accomplish my mission. So don't worry that you're young. Don't worry that you are not a good speaker. It says in verse 17, Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them whatever I commanded you. Do not be terrified by them or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Be ready. Get ready. I have a purpose. I have a plan. I'm going to use you. I'm going to equip you. I'm going to give you what you need because I have called you to this. And you're reading this week, Ezekiel was called to be a prophet. Similar to Isaiah, Ezekiel had this glorious vision of angels uh, and, and he saw the glory of the Lord. In Ezekiel 2, the Lord calls him. He said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet and I will speak to you. 
As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. He said, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. And they and their ancestors have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious people, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, Son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid through briars and thorns that are all around you and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or be terrified by them, though they are a rebellious people. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. Do not be afraid. I'm calling you to this. This is what I want you to do. And Ezekiel went. And you read... You read Ezekiel, it's some crazy stuff that God asked Ezekiel to do. But it was to show the people who God was. Next week we'll dive into Daniel. Look at Daniel's response to his situation. But what is your response when God calls you to do something difficult? Jonah said, nope, not going to do it. Wouldn't be prudent. And God told Jonah, no, stop, go. And God sent Jonah to Nineveh because Jonah couldn't run away. Isaiah said, whoa, a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. I don't deserve to even speak in your presence. And God said, who will go? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Jeremiah said, I'm too young, I'm I'm not eloquent, I don't know what to say. And God said, I'll give you the words to say. I've called you before you were even formed. And Ezekiel, we see his response, he goes. And God says, do not be afraid. But God called each of them to difficult circumstances. He called Jonah to go to a horrific people that would torture their prisoners, and history says, by skinning them alive. Not really the type of people you want to go to. Worshiping false gods, raiding the Israelites, killing and taking prisoners of war and having them work as slaves, God said, go tell those people about me. And you didn't want to go because you'll, if, you, if they repent, you'll relent. God, God called Isaiah to preach judgment that Assyria was going to come in and, and take the northern kingdom and Babylon was going to come in and take the southern kingdom, but also hope there's this future coming Messiah. God called Ezekiel to do some of those same things. And Jeremiah to, to, to lament over the nation of Israel and what they had become. What's your response when God calls you to do something difficult? In the New Testament, we see Jesus calling His disciples with two simple words. Follow Me. In those days, rabbis, there would be students that would go through the classes and all these things, and they would find a rabbi that they wanted to learn under, and they'd ask the rabbi if they could learn under them, and they'd become the rabbi's disciple. And the rabbi would train them and teach them, usually when they're about 14 to 15 years old. Uh, but they would, you know, these would be, want to be the best student and the brightest student so I can get this rabbi to accept me as his disciple. What did Jesus do? Walked around, found fishermen, tax collector, a zealot, And more than likely, they're teenagers. We know that Peter and Jesus were the only ones that paid tax when they went to the city. So Jesus was probably the first youth pastor that ever existed. 
That's why youth pastors are awesome. But he recruited these people. Let's look at, at Peter. Verse 16 of Mark. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting that into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. They left their vocation. They left the thing they'd been trained for since they were kids. And they said, I'll go. He said, I'm going to give you a new purpose. You've been fishing for fish. It's a fisherman do. I'm going to have you fish for people. And I'm going to equip you. I'm giving you a new task. A little bit later, verse 19, when he'd gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in a boat with the hired men and followed him. They said, okay, let's go. Without delay, right away, let's go follow Jesus. Levi, once again, Jesus walked out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him and began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and left and followed him. We've gone into quite a lot of detail about tax collectors in the past, so I won't do that today. But just to summarize, they're the lowest of the low, the worst sinners. They weren't allowed in the tabernacle. They weren't allowed in the temple. They weren't allowed to, the synagogues didn't accept their money. They were, they were enemies. And Jesus said, come, follow me. And he left all of his wealth, all of his position, and followed Jesus. See, our culture and Disney movies say to follow your heart. Follow your heart. And you'll get everything you want. But Jeremiah 17 says the heart is deceptive above all things. And desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, our, our heart desires fulfillment, but we often pursue it through things like lust. And our heart designs contentment, and we pursue it through wealth. And our heart desires respect, and we pursue it through position. But doesn't the Bible say God will give you the desires of your heart? Well, yes. Let's look at that. Psalm 37. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will do this. In other words... When you love the Lord and pursue Him and surrender your life to God, the desires of your heart are to serve Him and follow Him. Like Isaiah, here am I, send me. Jesus described the kingdom of heaven as a treasure in which people would give everything they possess to attain. Paul said he counts all these other things as rubbish, garbage, worthless, compared to the supreme value of knowing Jesus. In the very next chapter, he said, Rejoice in the Lord. And again I say, C.S. Lewis observed, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from Himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Psalm 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My heart... My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I don't know your situation now or what your situation will be in the future, but God may bring you through some really tough trials. Maybe you'll go through a really difficult financial season. I remember when we lived in Philly, we were broke. 
with a capital B. When you have debt collectors calling you at work, it's not a good thing. And I remember saying, God, God always provided what we needed, but I remember saying, God, can you teach me a new lesson? I'm done with this lesson of trusting you. I feel like I've learned it well enough. Can we learn a lesson of how to live in abundance? I'd like a different lesson, Lord. This, is, this lesson has gone on too long. Or maybe you have chronic physical pain, or, or you're dealing with a, a really difficult physical situation, and you just feel like, God, would you just rescue me from this? Can we be done with this? Can I get a different lesson? I don't want to keep having all this pain. Or maybe an emotional loss. You know, Pastor John shared his last week. And some of those will never go away. God, why would you allow this to happen? Why would you allow me to walk through this? And so you need to hold on to the truth that no matter the circumstances, God is a perfect Father who can be trusted to keep His promises. We're surrounded by messages everywhere we go. If you have this, you'll be fulfilled. If you get this thing, you'll be fulfilled. Everything is trying to sell us something. But this world doesn't have anything to offer that will bring ultimate satisfaction. This world isn't about living the most comfortable life that we can possibly attain or about acquiring the most stuff so we can buy everything that our heart desires. It's about fully living for, the God, for God our Father who can be trusted to keep His promises. This world, for us as believers, is about seeking and obeying God's will. It's about being in a fellowship with God and pursuing His will through obedience and freedom, and submission. What will your response be if God calls you to do something difficult? Jonah said, not me. Jeremiah said, I'm too young. Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Ezekiel said, okay, let's go. Jesus had a simple request. Follow me. The fishermen left their boats. The tax collector left his booth. The zealot left his cause because they recognized who Jesus was and they knew it would be worth it. They knew it would be worth it. They'd be giving up something temporary for something much better. What is your response to that simple call that Jesus says, follow me? What is your response today? Is it when I get older? When everything else I want is in place? Or is your response to say, Lord, here am I. Send me. I don't know yet what God is calling you to do. And frankly, in this situation that I'm talking about, I don't know what God's calling us to do. I'm just walking in and going, God, my hands are open. I want to do Your will. Here am I. Send me. And that's what my prayer will always be. Lord, Remove my selfishness. Remove my own thoughts. I want to follow You because I know Your will is better. I've seen it again and again and again in every step of my life. The hardest moments of my life are the ones that God has used the most for His glory. God has shaped me and molded me through hard times and good times. And in each and every step, He has been a faithful Father 
And I trust Him. So I don't know what the future holds. But my prayer today is, Lord, here am I. Send me. And my prayer for our church is that we all say, Lord, whatever, whenever, however, I'm in. What's your answer? Dear Heavenly Father, You're such a good and gracious Father. And Lord, You call us to different things and sometimes those things are full of fun and and joy and pleasure. Lord, we praise You for those things and we thank You for those things and, and, and we rejoice in those things. And sometimes it involves seasons of difficulty and hardship. And Lord, we still choose to praise You to rejoice You, to thank You, because in the midst of the difficult times, You are still good. You are still trustworthy. And Your promises still remain. Help us to rest on those promises today. In Your precious and holy name we pray. Amen.